Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Vox Podcast. Mike Erie, Tim Stafford, still missing Bonnie. We love Bonnie. Check out our new podcast, Tim Shell. Gombus, new podcast, Faith Improvised. Both of them have their first episodes out as it is as we are recording now. Yeah. And um, Bonnie is full Bonnie and Gombus is full Gombus. So you're not getting diluted either. And uh, we love being a part of that part of that family. So that's fun for us to see happen. Tim and I, however, are left in the unfortunate place of being two white men stuck on a podcast together, which differentiates differentiates us in no way, shape or form from all the other podcasts out there. So um, what we thought, I think we've, you know, we um, we recognize losing a, a feminine theological voice is a big deal, um, and the mayonnaise thing is a big deal, and um, and so what we've learned, if uh, we've learned anything from paying attention these last several months, is the importance of elevating um, voices that don't normally get elevated, and so um, we feel like we want to elevate probably the voice that has been the most minimized in American Christianity. And that is the voice of our Palestinian friend, Jesus, who, um, <laughs> I don't know if you know this, but there was this fellow, not a white man, member of a, of a uh, minority group in the first century, uh, tradesman uh, for most of his adult life. But, you know, this Jesus guy, I think, um, pretty easy to hijack in times like these uh, or pretty easy to ignore in times like these, right? We are, we are sitting in the middle as we record this of a massive pandemic, uh, racial tension uh, that has not been seen since, at least publicly seen um, and wrestled with since the 60s, uh, an economic disaster that we're still not sure what the cost of that's going to be long term. Um, an election season that is that is already howlingly and maddeningly insane. Uh, a church that is being um, dismantled um, in terms of its lack of integrity on all sorts of issues. And so here we are. <laughs> Where and, are we? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so we thought, you know, um, why don't we take a look at the, the most famous teaching of Jesus called the Sermon on the Mount? And um, let's, spend, let's spend some podcast time going through uh, Jesus' teaching. And, um, and, and this kind of fits into a question I think we got in uh, on Facebook. Uh, Tim, you want to pull that one up? Yes. Uh, somebody wrote in and said, hey, um, hey, they didn't say, hey, I added that actually. So, oh. um, they just started Did with I? a question I have is where do I start? I'm mm. a Christian and I've gone through the deconstructing. A lot has changed for me and I don't know where to restart. Y'all along with the Holy post have been very helpful in challenging me. I feel like I don't know how to read the Bible and it is paralyzing. Oh. thoughts. Yeah. Good question. So interestingly enough, the Holy Post, um, one of the co-hosts there is a guy named Sky, who's a friend of mine, and he just wrote a book on the Sermon on the Mount, interestingly enough. Um, that is such a great question. And, and about the Bible, 
holy moly, there's a lot to say there. I mean, that, that should be our next thing, is mm-hmm. just sitting in that question, you know, for a couple of months. Um, there is hope, and I think there is a way to come back to the scriptures, uh, take, b- taking both them seriously and us and our world seriously. Um, that you don't have to dismiss, dismiss either to really engage with what's happening in there. So I think there's, I think there's hope there that I hope to demonstrate in the future. Yeah. Regarding where do you start? I, I mean, I know this is self-serving, but my goodness, there's no better spot than this Jesus fellow and, and his, his uh, magnum opus. And uh, for me, when I get when I get into the world of uh, politics, in the world of um, the Old Testament or the world of Paul, man, I get so easily lost. I get so easily uh, disoriented. And there's something about encountering Jesus, seeking to kind of unlearn what we've learned, as Yoda would have it, um, it that uh, I, I think is so, so powerful. So um, we're going to... We're going to spend some time just in the in the voice, listening to the voice of Jesus and trying to take that very, very seriously. And I think there will be, well, I know there will be much that speaks into our world. I mean, directly. Um, and so if you're if you're willing, young questioner, I would uh, I would encourage you to, to stick around and read it with us. You know, this will be a great I you know, the, the Sermon on the Mount begins with a bunch of blessings. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And it ends with Jesus saying, if you take my words seriously and put them into practice, you're like somebody that built a house on a really solid foundation. And in the midst, he covers anger, lust, murder, adultery, divorce, um, verbal manipulation. What does it mean to be good? What does it mean to be religious? What does it mean to love? How it is that we're to be uh, Christian in the world? I mean, he covers power. Um, deception, false leaders, good leaders. I mean, he covers just everything. And so I think there'll be a lot there. And if we're going to reboot in the light of deconstruction, I don't think there's any better place to start, you know? Yeah. Um, That his words and just sitting in the gospels have been life, absolutely life-giving to me in this, Uh, not only in this season particularly, but in the season of life that's the deconstructing part. Yeah. So um, the goal of this podcast today, Tim and I, we want to tell you why um, the Sermon on the Mount is one of the best things we can be reading and paying attention to right now. And because I have two fears of, um, of going into this. The first one is that uh, people will just think this is some nice moral instruction uh, from Jesus to our private spirituality. And it just, it just makes us little better, tiny Christians. And, um, and we can dismiss it because Jesus really doesn't have anything to say about systemic injustice, racism, um, uh, sexual orientation, gender theory, uh, critical race theory. I mean, he doesn't have anything to say on these things. And, and the goal for us is just to be nice and uh, keeps Jesus private in our, our warm little hearts. And, um, you know, it's cool. And that is so not what Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount. <laughs> and and the, other, the other fear is that 
is that we read the sermon through the lens of Republican, Democrat, conservative, progressive, because that's how we've been discipled. Um, it's not our churches that have disciples us mostly. It's mostly the, uh, the ways in which the Republican and Democrat play themselves out. And so uh, we want to take this episode to um, dismantle those false views of the sermon and to insist that it's far more radical, revolutionary, and challenging to every single one who will listen to it than I think we give it credit for. Yeah. You, know, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So um, a, a couple of thoughts as we start. Um, in the Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus does is that he defines our way of life in the world. And that, by definition, is political. It doesn't mean it has political implications. It means that Jesus and his message are inherently political. Now, we have to deal with two misunderstandings immediately. The first misunderstanding is that the Sermon on the Mount has been misread for generations. The early Catholic Church believed, or the medieval Catholic Church believed, that it only applied to the spiritual elites, the priests. So um, it was way too rigorous for kind of normal nominal Christians. And so in their view, uh, it applied to the priesthood. there was uh, the Lutheran view that came around as a result of that, that said that, no, 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 it applies to everybody, but just in your private spiritual life, as opposed to your public secular life. Um, and so, so the distinction there isn't between the elites and the regulars, it's no, everyone's involved, but this is just internal religious conviction. Um, I grew up in a theological system that said the Sermon on the Mount was for, was, was for the future. Um, and uh, it is the ethics of the kingdom when the kingdom comes for a thousand year millennial reign. This was the dispensational teaching I was I was taught. So, so we have the, 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 the it's only for it's only for the higher ups. Yep. We have the, hey, it's just for your private time, quiet time. Don't yep. let it, this is not for how you live your life out in the world necessarily, but just kind of behind closed doors or within the church walls, maybe. Yep, yep, yep. And then we have the left behind version. <laughs> We've left the Sermon on the Mount behind. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And then even today in some reform circles, I mean, th- there's a guy I hugely respect who... <laughs> Uh, on social media, he was like, you know, the great thing about the Sermon on the Mount is it shows us how much we need Jesus. And and I, I, I responded with, okay, but then why does he tell us to obey it right at the end of it? Like, yeah. I just, I disagree. And so the, the, the one danger is that people will take the Sermon on the Mount and think it's someone else, somewhere else, uh, doing something else. As opposed to no, this this is the clearest outline of the way of Jesus. Somebody Jesus, really needs this. Yes, my, yes. <laughs> I wish my friends would listen to this. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, and so that's the, that's on the one hand, that's one landmine. The other landmine is when people hear that Christianity is political, they think what that means is that Christianity is partisan. 
And, um, and, and we've seen Christianity be political in the Crusades uh, oh. and in the Constantinian era of the Roman Empire. And we've seen Christianity be political starting in the 80s around the abortion issue and around mm-hmm. LGBTQ protections and rights. And um, every time the church has been political in that sense, it has been awful and it has been antichrist in many ways. Um, and so there is a, a very good skepticism about, mm, are we sure we want to say that? I want to say that Christianity isn't partisan, but it is political. And what I want to do uh, for the rest of the podcast, I want Tim and I to kind of go through what that means. We're going to title this episode, Neither Right Nor Left Nor Religious. And this phrase comes from a chapter, a chapter title in a book by Lee Camp. Um, C-A-M-P, called Scandalous Witness. And he puts forth a vision, a Christian vision of politics that um, uh, is really good. And I channel, there are some sections that we'll get into, hopefully, that I'm just channeling him. Um, all errors and wrong statements are mine. Everything brilliant is him. That's kind of how oh, this will I work. Thought, I was going to say that was a great time to put it on someone else. <laughs> no. I mean, it's it's absolutely compelling. It's 172 pages, not a not a huge read, but thick. It is dense, um, but I recommend it. And I want to use some of his material to frame how it is we're going to approach the sermon because, as a podcast, we've always talked. To, we've always said we want to be safe uh, to talk about anything, and um, and so there's so much happening in our world that we can be and should be reacting to and talking about. And so what I don't people to think we're doing is, well, we lost Bonnie and, um, you know, it's it, we're not comfortable just having two white dudes pontificate. And so we're just gonna go back to Jesus. Um, and I don't want people to think that um, the Jesus we're pursuing is just the purveyor of the systematic injustices and everything that that is getting associated with sort of um, conservative politics and even some theological conservative positions. And so I want to I want to talk about how it is that that Jesus is political. What's that mean? Because yeah. that frames what he's doing in the sermon. Yeah. And we think that part I, I mean, maybe I won't say we let me just start with I and then Mike, you can disagree or not. I don't want <laughs> But part of the thing that I think in the last few months of listening and learning is, you know, a offering a place for marginalized voices to have a voice and B also like as two white men, we have a duty to play, to have a, we have a really significant part in dismantling the power structure that has been built that favors white men and white men's voices. So there, there's a role to play in kind of um, acknowledging that and picking that apart. Somebody phrased it as, it's white male power over meaning that Mm. there's a thing of uh we have a long history of white male power over it's a power structure a power dynamic in Mm -hmm. which we have assumed control over other people and kind of picking that apart through a lot of this too i think yes yes exactly we we want to show how deeply jesus engages the issues of our world yeah and um and that that we don't get off by saying, hey, man, that's just my private spirituality or, hey, that's politics, but not religion or no, no, no. We want to 
we want to put to to death all of that. So, um, let's go through this just sort of briefly. Um, the way of Jesus isn't right. It's not. Um, it's not the way of conservative politics. The fact that many of us think being theologically conservative and being politically conservative are the same thing. I mean, that just shows you, to be honest, how deep the blasphemy goes, right? I mean, uh, the way of Jesus cannot be captured uh, by the conservative um, Republican establishment. Jesus explicitly rejected um, Republican conceptions of power um, uh, and and refused to take up a mantle that would install him as a uh, a crowning ruler, you know, putting in, enforcing his morality by you know by fiat over the nations or something. And and likewise, Jesus, and and I, this one's harder for me to hear, but the, the likewise, Jesus refused the way of the left, um, the way of um, uh, social activism uh, for its own sake. Um, the, the, the really watered down notion of progress that is so different from his eschatological vision um, mm -hmm. of the kingdom coming. I think he would object to the way both right and left um, exclude and name call and judge and um, uh, shame. I, I don't think Jesus would agree with any our political maneuverings around how it is we talk about these issues and, the, and what we think about each other in the midst of this. I think Jesus, um, I think Jesus absolutely would say your and my identity as an American Christian is a Christian and, and then very distantly second as an American and then very distantly later on down the road as whatever political party. Right. Um, is this making sense? Yeah. That Camp has this great line about, um, and, and please don't read into this. this. See, the fact that I have to tread so carefully here um, just shows how discipled we've been by our politics, you know. By well, and this, and we're all very. This is all very raw nerve. Oh my goodness, yes. There's so, so. much anger. I feel so much anger. We're actually re-recording this. <laughs> because I was so angry in the first time we went through this. I, I was, I, Tim and I, about 45 minutes in, went, eh, I'm not sure. So <laughs> I took some CBD brownies and um, there it is. <laughs> I don't even know. I, I, I don't even know what that is. But I hear it relaxes you. That's what mm. I hear. I, I think what we're seeing is if we're not careful there are fundamentalisms on on both sides and i think jesus stands opposed to that the way of the kingdom does not come from silencing people and the way of the kingdom does not come from um uh name calling and shaming i think the way of the kingdom is much deeper than that so i think one of the things we'll try to show is that um Jesus's way is neither the way of the left or the way of the right. And, and that's hard, right? Depending on what your persuasion is. Part of the reason you're that persuasion is because you think this better represents the way of Jesus in the world. But what Camp does that's super interesting is that he calls that into question by saying that both conservatism, and let's call it this, this, uh, both Republicans and Democrats, um, are not arguing about two separate political parties, they're arguing about the best way to embody one political theory, which is the political liberalism 
of the Enlightenment. And, and when we say liberalism in this sense, this doesn't mean progressive. Uh, liberalism in this sense has to do with individual liberty. Yeah. And it's the maximizing of individual rights and opportunities over against the institutional structures of the church and the state and the king. And so there was an incredible movement that, that birthed um, America, you know, ultimately, that, that said that um, the individual with their enlightened intellect should, be, should have a right to self-determination when it comes to politics, economics, um, and so on. And so what you have, and this is I'm channeling camp here, is that you have a set of assumptions that characterize classical liberalism. Those assumptions are things like freedom of religion, um, uh, an individual's right to uh, move up and down the social ladder as they please or as they, as they work, as opportunity provides, um, the, the uh, free exchange of, um, of goods and services. I mean, those sorts of things that are just embedded in American culture he traces back those ideas to the Enlightenment and says, what's fascinating is that both Republicans and Democrats share all of those assumptions. The problem is that they disagree over where the rights of government uh, or where the rights of the individual versus the power of government should be expressed. Right. So, so Republicans favor maximizing liberty when regards to guns and regarding like corporate and corporations and people with their money. And um, Democrats believe in maximizing liberty around uh, the individual, your individual body, your individual sexual ethics. And but but Camp makes this brilliant point that in both cases, you're sharing a set of assumptions that themselves would be called into question by the kingdom of God. In other words, to be a Republican or Democrat isn't to argue about the best way of being Christian in the world. It's, the, it's arguing about the best way to manifest the ideals of classical liberalism as a political theory. But that, according to Camp, is called into question by the kingdom of God even before we get to Republican uh, yeah, so and not, Democratic it's partisanship. Left. It's not left. It's not right. It's not middle. No. We're talking about a starting point that supersedes all of that exactly exactly so like one of the examples of um you know one of the example or one of the examples of what liberalism doesn't do a good job of and i don't mean political liberalism right. as a party but as a theory is that there's no shared conception of what it of what is good or what the good life is right and we're, we see that now with our mask debates Right. I remember when um, in the 80s, when my parents were upset that the government was telling us to wear seatbelts. I mean, the government has no right to tell us what, to wear seatbelts, you know, and it was a it yeah. was a liberty issue. And that. that yeah. And then today you get the same thing from people who um, refuse to wear masks, you yeah. know, and especially if they're told to. And so we have this incredible mask wearing conflict that is simply the inevitable result of people who have been told their whole lives that what matters most, yeah, is, this, is your individual preference 
desire and self-expression and there is no shared shared common good to sacrifice for yeah right and so so that's one thing the kingdom would call in the question the second thing the kingdom would call into the question is the notion of liberty itself um in the in the political in the way we've internalized the, the our political views liberty means the absence of rules restraints ethics or morals um the the virtue tradition uh, and the christian conception of freedom is the exact opposite yeah. <laughs> it's freedom within ethics morality uh rules and so on and so the point camp is making is that to to say the sermon on the mount is political doesn't mean it's 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 right or left it's it's based on a set of assumptions that doesn't even allow our republican and democratic conversation to get off the ground yeah right does that make sense yeah so our friend that wrote in on facebook who uh has been going through a deconstructing process of faith and the bible um in many ways this is a great point for rebuilding uh just through yes. the words of jesus but also in a trite not trite but a um, this political season where things are very contentious, this is also a point of deconstructing and rebuilding that as well. So this is a That's multiple, right. yes, multifaceted, uh, let's see what Jesus has to say yeah. so that we might better embody that. That's right. As a community. Yeah. Uh, um, this isn't just me and my private individual believings. Yes. Yeah. This is us being a political entity in the world that is good news to the rest of the world. And we yeah. we are so far from that. So we have yeah, the I mean, people you have that... This, you, you kind of have it uh, bundled by, for God so loved the world, and then go, right? Those are kind of right. uh, bookends that this is in the middle of. Right. Exactly. Like, this is how we go. About, yeah, he cares about the world. This is why he's here. Right. The one that we live in, that we have to operate in and, and, and not be private within. And then... That's right. That's right. We are political. Yes. But we're not political in the cringy way that Christians have been known to be political because our politics consists of an entirely different set of assumptions and values. And what Jesus yeah. will outline in the Sermon on the Mount is because all it means to be political is to is to group together and and discern how you'll live your common life together. Yeah, I mean that is what the New Testament is about. Yeah, <laughs> how do and this people? Is, I think we said this in the first recording. I can't remember, but this is uh, this governmental system is well, we. I'm I'm doing this, so this is why I say we. But I'm looking at all this. I can only frame this through a Republican, Democrat, American mm -hmm. That's right. system. But this is uh, we're talking about global so That's jesus's right. intent in this is not just we uh, i think we all we cipher everything through an american lens right. naturally uh but right. this right. is so much more than that yes yes exactly but, right but but it is where we are so it's neither right nor left nor is it religious now camp means if that one of the assumptions that went into classic uh, liberalism is the idea that um, religion is consists of a set of privatized internal believings about what happens when you die and should not inform common public life. And we've all agreed with that assumption. And so um, because 
Um, in, in under that understanding, Christianity then has nothing to say about the social and political issues of our day. We have we fill that void with the nation state and the partisan representative of the nation state. Right. So what, you know, our uh, frenzy to be Republican or Democrat shows about us is that our Christianity has yet to fully inform yeah. the ways in which we're seeing the world. And the reason it hasn't done that isn't because we're good people or good Christians. It's because we, the, our whole thing is be- built on the assumption that um, the exercise of religion in the public square is, is by, by definition a harmful thing. Yeah. And history certainly proved that it's been a harmful thing. What we're trying to recapture is the idea that the church is a political entity making a political statement about the lordship of Jesus, practicing a kind of politics in their life together that bears witness to the reality of Jesus and also calls into question the the common sense assumptions of the politics of the world. That's what we're, that's what he's doing here. And to understand that, you can't locate Jesus as just giving us private morality uh, the way we've assumed, nor is he giving partisan politics. He, yeah. He's introducing a radically different political entity into the world. That is very, and we'll get to this in a second, but that's why America could never be a Christian nation. Because uh, what Jesus is attempting to do has nothing to do with what nations turn out to be. Right. So 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 he subverted all that to begin with way before America was even a a thought. (laughs) A twinkle in the world's eye. There we go. I was trying to think of how to say that like that, but (laughs) subverting the uh, Caesar and subverting what uh, people were expecting him to be. Exactly. Jesus, listen. Political ideals. Jesus got it from both sides because on the one hand, um, Jesus was very political. Um, he did, he wasn't, and guys, this is the most important point we're going to make today. He wasn't crucified because he was spiritual. He wasn't crucified because he was leading private devotions and giving us inspirational quotes about how to be better people. Right. He was freaking crucified because the religious power saw that he was threatening their institutions and the political power saw that he was threatening their institutions. He wasn't doing that by just being a nice moral guy. All right. Yeah. And, and not only that, then Jesus gets blasted by people uh, of his day because he's not political in the right way. So right. on the one hand, you have the unmistakable fact that Jesus is political and his church was political and still is, but it's politics of such a different sort that many of his contemporaries refuse to follow him because of the kind of politics that he defined his people around, yeah. right? That we're going to conquer the Romans by sacrificial love and suffering and forgiveness. I mean, come freaking on. What a load of crap that must have been to the Jews of his day. I mean, truly, right? And that's why they say at the very end, right in the book of Acts, when Jesus is ascending, they're like, dude, are you okay? Are you now going to restore the kingdom to Israel? So Jesus got it on both sides. He was political enough to die, but he was political in the wrong way. So as to be accepted by the majority of his countrymen and women. Yeah. Oh, and it, and it, like even the people that are close to him, you know, with that, like with the Roman, yeah, conquer the Roman, and then Peter's going to share 
the the story of Jesus with the centurion just because and, and it was just like and and Peter had his pre notions about no 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 this is you know this is a right. Roman dude this is like a hardcore Roman dude and and you know he's told no this is for him as well so yes. I even within the tight circle this pre conceived notion of who this is for and how it should look was being challenged from day one right so Jesus was not coming to give us a better way of governing the world. He was yeah. not giving us a better way of embodying liberal liberalism as it's classically conceived, nor was he coming to give us a better way to be religious, right? He was introducing something called the kingdom of God, which, um, and we could spend loads of episodes on this, was a political identity, or excuse me, a, politi- a political entity that had some things in common with what God was doing with Israel, but in other ways, because Israel was a geopolitical fixed nation with borders, boundaries, walls, yes. and laws. The church, as it expressed the kingdom, could never be expressed in those sort of boundaried geopolitical kinds of ways because the kingdom was far bigger. So one of the points that Camp makes that I just absolutely love is that he distinguishes, um, he, and I think this is the chapter title of, of one of the chapters, is uh, America has never been, nor will be, or could be a Christian nation. Um, because a nation state, by definition, and a Christian, by definition, are antithetical to each other. So yeah. he gives the following examples. He's like, hey, nation state is a geopolitical entity with geographical boundaries, the kingdom is every tongue, tribe, nation, no geographical boundaries to protect. The nation state has laws and policies for citizenship. There are pledges of allegiance uh, and promises and oaths. Um, the church, the kingdom has its own oath, uh, right? It is baptism. Um, it is for all of those who call upon the name of Jesus and are baptized. That is what constitutes the political entity of the church, which makes, by the way, baptism a very, very politically subversive act. Mm. Uh, nation states enforce walls and borders because they have to. Um, Christ preached an open table and the early church practiced it. Um, the, the state has to rely on the threat of coercive power, whereas the church, um, if it embodies the kingdom, um, consists of influence through self-sacrificial love. Uh, the nation state is a self-interested agenda uh, for its own preservation in the world. Yeah. And um, we, uh, the kingdom, are given the ministry of reconciliation instead. Um, in the West, uh, our political vision is about maximizing life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness as defined by the classical liberalism of our, of, of our forefathers, right? That, yeah. that post-enlightenment, hey, we're here uh, protecting the values of the autonomous individual as opposed to the Christian conception, which is to which is a community reflecting the way of Jesus um, through the denial of self and the transformation into Christ-likeness. I mean, holy moly, right? So let's just say all of that's true, then by definition, you could never have a Christian nation. Yeah. Because such a, th- such a thing is a contradiction in terms, right? Yeah, such a tough conversation that I've had so many times. <laughs> well, camp, dude, I'm just saying, camp, go camp. Now, the kingdom, and this is where it gets super tricky. The kingdom is both now and not yet. Right. Right. We've talked about this before. Jesus has come 
and Jesus is coming. Jesus right. has come and defeated the powers, but the powers aren't defeated yet. He'll return. So there's an inauguration of Jesus's kingdom and power and authority, but there's still a consummation in the future that we wait for. Now, I know that's horribly confusing, but the New Testament, like Paul will speak of salvation, like it's already happened in the past, like it's currently happening in the present, and like it's going to happen in the future. And all of those are true. (laughs) We have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. Yeah. So so there's this two-stage sort of process where the, the end of history has already begun in the midst of the present. So the end of history, according to the Christian conception, is something called new creation, which is where the purposes of God align with the purposes expressed on the earth, right? And that God remakes so that death, sin, disease, all of that stuff no longer exists. No more COVIDs. No more COVIDs, right? Nothing. No more baldness, no more calories. (laughs) That's in the Hebrew. Now... (laughs) The church, as as witness bearers to the kingdom, um, we're called to live something called proleptically, which means we're to live now as if the future were already here. So, um, so the images we get of new creation, of course, are every tongue, tribe, and nation proclaiming the goodness of God. So what do we do in the meantime? We fight the ethnic tribal battles, the white superiority, the, the explicit um, racism of some forms of Christianity. We fight that now yeah. because we're embodying what's coming. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, so we live proleptically in that regard, right? Which the postures... now not yet gives us a very specific role to play. We're not yes. just sitting and waiting. Correct. Yes. We're... Oh, that's so good, Tim. We do... That means we are not allowed to withdraw. Yeah. We're not allowed to be passive, nor are we allowed to try to dominate because it's the way of Jesus. But, and here's the key point, we're super realistic about the reach of good government. Yeah. In other words, there isn't any perfect utopia waiting for us politically that will usher in the kingdom. And so yeah. as people whose citizenship is based in a different place, we're free to interact, to reject, to bless, to redeem all parts of all parties of all systems because we're beholden right to to nothing in terms of an ultimate set of allegiance or identity yeah and and so we live with great realism because the kingdom is not yet and we yeah. believe that there are forces at work in the world that are still purveyors of death um, and sin and evil. We don't think evil is just in the human heart. We think it's it's systematized. It's not just systematized too. It's in the human heart, right? It's both, right? You can't just cure racism by having everyone come to Jesus. That's right. not how this works. And that wasn't the remedy Jesus called for, right? Right. You defeat racism, uh, and I don't mean in any ultimate sense, but you the the role of the church is to begin to embody those practices that are anti-racist now. Yeah, and and it's it's a testament to our um, prostituting ourselves to the American conception of yeah, what, yeah. what it is to be polit- political that it's taken this, you know, for me and us to wake up to how deep this goes. Yeah. Um, 
So we live by hope because the kingdom has come and we see the goodness of Jesus all around us, but we're realistic because we still see the reality of evil. And, um, and then, and this is the last, last kind of thing I'll, I'll try to say, um, the politics of the tribe of Jesus that we're going to go into in the Sermon on the Mount are explicit refusals of the politics of empire. And so they're specific repudiations, beginning with who Jesus blesses of the politics yeah. of empire. And I don't mean empire just in terms of a political nation. I mean empire in terms of how it's even practiced by institutional religion. Yeah. Right? This is, yeah. this is a repudiation of power. And so people rightly get twitchy when we talk about Christianity being political. And I would argue it's been because they haven't seen Christianity be political. What they've seen is, is, is a whole bunch of us who have misaligned ourselves and misidentified and distorted what's God, what God is doing in the world and wants to do in the world to the point where we look to the nation state uh, to define for us the ultimate realities of what American life should look like. Yeah. Ugh. And how could we not, in such a context, uh, spend a lot of our time, energy, and money um, conflicting with each other about such things? So to say it again, the politics of Jesus do not include <laughs> at all the self-righteous moralism uh, of coercive power, whether it's from the Supreme Court, the president or the Congress. Yeah, I right? mean, it goes it, like at the beginning, the white male power over. This is a similar idea. Like, yep, we've just baptized in this, Christian terms. Yeah. So we refuse the politics of deception and spin. We instead are truth tellers. We bear witness to the truth. And that just doesn't mean we sit in our towers and we pronounce judgment upon the world. That's not what we mean by truth telling. Truth telling first and foremost is telling the truth about us and our right. house and how crappy we are. And then in the midst of our weakness, boasting about our Jesus. It's not just sitting around saying, "Hey, guys, um, believe the Trinity or burn." Yeah, Come I on, really, man. I really, I don't know how long ago it was that you said this, but it was the, I've, it's, I've used it a lot since then. But the, just simply putting in the difference between peacekeeping and peacemaking, totally, and how those two things are carried out and how they're lived, and that we are not status quo keepers; that we're going in and we're peacemakers. And I think that That's that right. kind of as an analogy, that kind of system is, is a lot like this. Yes, exactly right. And just along those lines, we reject any form of ethnic superiority, racism, sexism, or nationalism by definition. And instead, we practice the common table and hospitality to all. We have different social orderings than the world does. Now, the fact that we don't, again, just shows um, uh, the, the depth and breadth of our sin as a community and as individuals. Absolutely. Um, we refuse to chaplain the state and just bless its state thing and mm -hmm. sprinkle a little Christian dust over it and say, oh, that's okay. Let's go pray for our drone strikes. You know, it's cool. And we refuse to prostitute ourselves to the state in the way that we did in supporting slavery yeah. and the way that we have in oppressing women the way that we have in oppressing uh, um, sexual minorities, right? I mean, we have, 
yeah. prostituted ourselves. Um, uh, and, and instead, we, um, we practice the, the, the politics of repentance. We are constantly learning. And the more, the more we learn, the more we have to repent of. And so we, are, we should be the best listeners and the best apologizers and the best forgivers on the planet because all mm-hmm. of that is ours already in Jesus. Right? I mean, it's, it's, it's not, this isn't rocket science, right? This is the politics of mercy and justice and forgiveness and generosity and reconciliation, right? This, this is what the politics of Jesus are, where the tax collector and the zealot, where AOC and Donald Trump can sit across the table if, if in some incredible world, um, they they were uh, uh, some some church painted a compelling picture of Jesus where they could sit across the table and break bread together. I mean that's that's what we're talking about. That's what Paul calls us to when he talks about the new humanity, right? And so we reject, um, you know, <laughs> we reject debt as a means of power. Yeah. Um, right. I mean, we pray a prayer that says, "Forgive us our debts." As we forgive those who are indebted to us, we reject retaliation, right? I mean, Jesus is so clear about retaliation uh, and love of enemies. Um, we uh, re- we uh, refuse the way of exploiting others, and, and this all sounds so horribly unrealistic. And that and that point right there is the <laughs> biggest indictment of all. Yeah, our we have experienced such a failure of discipleship. Throughout the that whole, this seems counter. Yeah. yeah, that this is against everything we know. <laughs> right? It's absolutely nuts. It's nuts. Oh, <laughs> and and we reject coercive violence. Yeah, you know the superpower mythos. We reject it. Now, my theologically astute friends would be like, "Dude, this sounds a lot like Anabaptist theology." And oh, it is. Anabaptists. In the midst of taking the Sermon on the Mount as, as for elites or um, as just showing us our need for Jesus or just for our private life, Anabaptists, um, uh, you, you, would, you would enjoy reading about them. Um, but the Anabaptists believed that the way of Jesus was to be applied for all Christians in all spheres of life. And uh, so even in our, so if I, if, if we're politicians, if, if, if my being in politics forces me to compromise the way of Jesus, then I should not be in politics. I mean, this that, is how radical this was. This yeah. totally goes against be what you want to be, do what you want to do. Right. I mean, that sort of autonomous, like my rights, my liberty, my freedom of expression, no, nothing should hinge upon, uh, infringe upon that. And there's truth to that. Absolutely, right? Jesus never forced a soul into his kingdom. So the freedom to choose, the freedom to, I mean, all of that, I think, is Jesus-y. Where we get lost in it is, um, is where, where we begin to just think that any conception of telos or the good or of a common good or a common direction is an infringement that if there's anything that would infringe upon my ability to do what i want when i want and how i want that's where i'm like ah that's not the way of freedom that's not that's not what real liberty turns out to be according to this jesus so um 
Here's the deal. Do politics as uh, Americans define them, does that matter? Oh, it matters immensely. It matters immensely. And we're seeing the carnage of it not mattering, right? Yeah. I mean, yep. oh my goodness. It matters, <clears throat> excuse me, immensely. But the politics of the American system have to be relativized to be of lesser importance and lesser allegiance than they currently occupy in the imaginations and hearts of many American Christians. Yeah. And when they are practiced, have to be practiced in a way congruent with the way of Jesus. Yeah. Uh, or they're not Christian. I mean, and, and that fundamentally, <laughs> that fundamentally is the call of the Sermon on the Mount to us 2,000 years later. It's, it's, um, I, I remember a friend years and years and years ago um, had a fish on her car, like one of those Christian fish. Oh, Jesus, yeah, yeah. Little Jesus sticker fish on the bumper, but drove like really angrily, you know, flipping yeah. people off and whatever. Yeah. And, and she came and she was like, what do I do? (laughs) And so, and so you really have two options, right? Option one, you drive as if, uh, as an expression of love your neighbor. Yeah. Or you take the damn fish off the car. Yeah. And do the private version of, uh, uh, right. (laughs) That's kind of a, that's kind of a modern day example of that. Absolutely. Uh, and so what I want to say is, listen, um, let's, if you want to be an ass on social media, if you, if you want to be, um, if you want to treat people awfully, if you want to spend time and energy, um, uh, doing things that Jesus explicitly forbids and outlaws among his people, then great. Just, just take the Christian off of your masthead. Just take take the Christian off of your bio, all right? I mean, that's all we're asking. Yeah, yeah. Just believe Jesus. Or just don't do that stuff. Or, (laughs) like me, we admit our freaking sin and we repent and walk the way of repentance. Yeah, I like that. I mean, I think we talked about this, not this specifically, but Gombas multiple episodes ago, but he was talking about um, politics and his, his idea of politics was practicing it within the just your community like your yeah that's your politics exactly yeah so i and and the transformation seems more uh doesn't seem as like out out there when you think about doing it within your immediate environment of your of the city that you're in i'm so glad you brought it up tim yeah the the primary political unit of christians is church yeah and so so yes your job isn't to be political in some ultimate sense of sharing memes um but it's it's to practice the only way to get good at this is to practice with other sinful people yeah i mean there are really good memes out there but yes there are some great memes it's um, a new art form my one of my favorite memes is this really heavy got to be a 400 pound bald guy jumping off the top rope in a wrestling ring and there's this guy laying on his back, you know, a, another wrestler that's just looking up at this huge guy coming down at him. And the meme is, the top part is my dad jokes. And the bottom part is with the guy that's about ready to get crushed, my ungrateful family. And um, 
and I, man, I, I really, I, I resemble that one. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so, so our goal and the reason we're going so crazy on this is, uh, at least for me, I don't think we can approach the Sermon on the Mount and hear it rightly without doing all of this pre-work. We almost have to unlearn some stuff before we can yep. learn some stuff. Yeah, Yoda. Yeah, Yoda said it right. And um, and so, you know, our our goal is to be in a lot of dialogue with you um, in the midst of this because yes. this would be a failure if all we do is talk about how Jesus uh, informs our private morality. And it would be a failure if we're not showing how it is that the ways of Jesus would drastically affect the issues that are totally compelling in our world, right? I mean, Jesus gets to the very heart of issues and the way of Jesus is a way forward in the midst of racial tension and the race in the midst of socioeconomic injustice and in the, in the midst of, in the race of, in the midst of race, in the midst of socioeconomic injustice, in the midst of a pandemic, right? I mean, there are ways of being in the world that are Christian and there are ways of being in the world that are not. And we just want to simply allow Jesus to define those for us, you know? Yeah, this time period is forcing us, man, what a crazy year, forcing <laughs> us to slow down physically and um, economically and socially and kind of re and like look at ourselves. Like it, we're being forced to stop and look at ourselves in a lot of different ways. So it just, I don't know, this just seems like such a great time to do this and to, you know, pick, pick apart why we're doing what we're doing. But yeah. This, we've always tried to build as much as you can build a community within the virtual environment. That has always been a goal. And I think that this series for the next couple of months or whatever is a great time like to email in at the hello at Vox podcast and um, to use the Facebook community group and different things to kind of like to wrestle with us. Cause I'm, I'm going to be wrestling through this quite a yeah. bit so yeah me too i think it'll be it's a great time for us to all just kind of you know get in it together and <laughs> push back and talk and, and just yeah and 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 the point that jesus will make is this isn't about anybody else right yeah. this is about this is about me i'm doing this for me because i need it yes i need yeah. it and if it helps great but i need this yeah I need a radical overhaul of how I see myself in the world. You know, I've made mistakes in social media. I've expressed anger in ways that are not productive and helpful. And I need to be retrained. I need to be, oh, shall I say it, equipped. There it is. There it is. It's a word Tim and I disagree over. He loves that <laughs> word. I, I, I don't know. I agree with word. you. I don't like it either. But man, it just is a hard word to replace. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. So anyway, my friends, um, that's where we're headed. So we'll start uh, next episode, diving into the word blessed, see where that mm. takes us. And um, anyway, uh, as always, as always, the goal is to orient and continually reorient ourselves around um, this uh, magnificent person called Jesus and uh, to be purveyors of kind of hope and beauty in the midst of this world. 
And for a lot of us, that takes a long, long time uh, to come to grips with sort of dismantling all the stuff that's grown up around Jesus. Yeah, yeah, it hurts Um, a little bit. Oh, it does. And it's so disorienting because you feel like, oh, if I lose that, I've lost him. And, you know, if I, I, ugh, it's just, it's so brutal. So um, I don't know, maybe, maybe this helps. Hope it does. But it it helps me regardless because I've learned so much just getting ready for it. Yeah. All right, Timothy, John, any last words? Nope. That was a lot of words. We did a lot of words. I did a lot of words. We don't want that to happen. Yeah, we do. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know about that. Anyway, friends, uh, until next time, thank you. Find us on Facebook, tweets, Patreon, Instagram, whatever. Voxpodcast.com. All Net. the places. Yeah, all the places. Trail Bonnie, Trail Gombus. They're awesome. Yeah. See ya. Thank you for listening to this conversation. The Vox Podcast is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is supported by listeners like yourself. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at patreon.com backslash Vox Podcast. You can also engage with the hosts on social media at facebook.com backslash Vox Podcast, on Instagram at Vox Podcast, and on Twitter at Mike Erie. Thank you for walking this road with us.